You have to tell people, you have to show them the way to go. And like you said, the fewer the words, the better, because they just want to see it and their brain needs to process it and see, process, do. We don't need to overcomplicate this. Joining us today on Bridging the Gap, all the way from South Florida, Olivia Looper. Olivia is a writer and content marketer for financial advisors, and she's also the host of Get Advisor Fit Podcast. Such an awesome name. Olivia opens the conversation with the importance of learning from others' content and putting your own spin on it to make it your own. We dive into that topic, which is super interesting. But we also then learn the difference between evergreen content in timely content, we learned about lead magnets and the benefits of having this exchange, the lead magnet exchange on your website and how to build your email campaign to produce traction to your content. Olivia also digs into blog titles and the two sides to blog content. You got the technical side and the creative side. And what does this actually entail? This is something that we all grapple with as advisors, and it's something that we can learn about. And this was an amazing conversation, and it opened the door to a lot of my marketing questions. It opened to a lot of marketing questions that I've had with other advisors, and it also provides tons of answers. So let's welcome Olivia to the show. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Olivia Looper, welcome to Bridging the Gap. How are you? How is everything in South Southish Florida? How's everything in South Florida? Everything is very wet today. Uh, like I was telling you when we got on, it is raining outside. So I hope that you can hear me okay. Good. Well, I'm excited about this conversation. I mean, we've been talking about content, you know, clients, advisors, really figuring out who they are and marketing to kind of their niche. And, and that's really where you're focused on with, with Lexicon Content Development and with your Get Advisor Fit podcast. I love that. Advisor Fit podcast. Tell us, I mean, what led you down this kind of rabbit hole that you found yourself in as a profession, helping advisors, registered investment advisors, market to and create content for their ideal client? What led you down this hole, this rabbit hole? Well, it was actually a conversation I had with my mother-in-law who also works with financial advisors. She is sort of in the strategic implementing business transformation, business consulting section of the financial services industry. So she helps my advisors, you know, transform their businesses from not profitable and not productive to rock stars. So I was, I had just before I had my four-year-old, my son who's four now, I had just gotten my master's degree in English. And so I wasn't in any sort of career path or anything like that. And she asked me, you know, what are you going to do when the baby gets old enough and goes to school? And I said, you know, I don't really know. I, I did some freelance writing in college and maybe I'll get back into that. So she was like, well, not for nothing, but there's really a shortage of writers who specialize in financial services, and it might be something that you want to look into. So I basically, she connected me with a couple of her clients and I started writing blogs for them. So my son would take a nap in the middle of the afternoon. I'd sit with my laptop and the baby monitor and teach myself about how to generate a predictable income in retirement, which I knew absolutely nothing about because I have no background in financial services whatsoever. Money, numbers scare me. I mean, I've come a long way since I started writing about it every day, but at the time there was a gigantic learning curve. 
So then I was like, okay, well, how am I going to get my own clients? So I had to start producing content for myself and I had to start building an email list for myself so that this could turn into something that, you know, beyond just a supplementary income to what my husband was bringing in. So, I mean, I, I found myself teaching myself so I could build my business. And then what I learned, I brought to the advisors. So I found that the advisors who were purchasing content for me really had no idea what to do with it. And I was doing a pretty good job for myself. So I said, well, let me help you. And it evolved in that way. So it went from just freelance writing to content development to content marketing. So let's go down that path because you did it from a you know, a marketing perspective, I guess, how did you, when you, when you set out to build your business, right? Early on, you just started writing content, but what was the strategy that you put into place to attract? All right, let's start there because then that's kind of like your framework and your blueprint to helping advisors attract their clients. So like from your perspective, starting a business, trying to grow it using content, what was your strategy and how'd you act on it? It's exactly what I still tell people to do today, which is you've got to start by producing something of value that people want to read. And for me, it started with, you know, the importance of blog, basically. So I would write about why it's important to blog, what you can do with them, how they help you. And then I did send it to the email contacts that I had. I would share it on social media. And that was basically it. I was putting out two articles a month and I was posting three to four times a week on social media. Now this was back in 2018. Since then, you know, the rate of posting has accelerated dramatically and even emailing frequency has accelerated to, you know, from twice a month to four times plus a month is, you know, the norm. But then, you know, that was sort of the standard was like, I would put out two blogs a month. I would email them out and I would post on social media. I made a lot of the connections that I have today on LinkedIn. This is no surprise because business owners, financial advisors, this is where they go to, you know, network, get problems solved, find solutions to their business problems. So it's no surprise that LinkedIn was really the ticket there for me, as it is for financial advisors who work with other business owners. So it's really in in no way very much different i mean today what i recommend than what i did to build my business in the beginning it's still the same principle as you were as you were talking i'm building i'm drawing out like this like map of like it's right email post post right email post post it's like this like very like you know simple to understand but hard to execute you know rhythm to get into but I, i'm curious and this is something that I think that a lot of advisors have questions about when it comes to content marketing. So you mentioned that you started out writing about the importance of blogging and you were writing two blogs a week or a month. Were these long form? Like, were these like heavy in depth? And and were you only talking about the importance of blogging? I mean, I, I, I feel like I would run out of ideas on the importance of blogging or I'd get bored with myself. But I know that with content marketing, it's like, you got to just be consistent, but like how many ways can you talk about the importance of blogging? Yeah, no, I mean, that was just in the very beginning. I mean, because at the time I had it, I wasn't offering full service content marketing services. It was just, let me make your content for you. Let me write your social posts. So that was really what I was promoting. 
out, you know, the importance of outsourcing, the value in outsourcing, the value in the blog, you know, so that was like just where it started. And of course it evolved beyond that. So, I mean, you, that's like when you start, you could write about, for example, the importance of retirement planning, but you're right. You can only write about that so many times, but there are, you know, different variations on the same, like, you know, the value in blogging versus how to blog versus what to do with the blog versus a checklist. I mean, there's just a million iterations of what we can do, which is why, you know, they say there's no, there's no new ideas under the sun, but somehow we all seem to come up with our own version of what that is. And I think that's something that's really important in advisor marketing is your process isn't really going to be that much different than the next financial advisor's process. What you're offering really isn't that different. What our job is, is to uncover what is different and unique about you, yourself, and your offering and highlight that so that you can differentiate yourself from the next person. Uh, I love that. And I, I mean, I think that, you know, it's always about like putting your own spin. People don't, people aren't really buying in this business, your process or hiring you as the advisor for your process or your strategy. They're, they're hiring you for you. And that's the beauty of content. However, you're doing a video, audio with a podcast written is be you like show your authentic side. And I, I'm curious, you know, because like we don't, as advisors, I mean, I sat in that seat before I've, I've been an advisor and I've been a content producer. It's like, there are two different sides of the brain, really, right? One's creative, one's analytical. But like, what's the process that someone can go through to help them, you know, build out a content calendar and like ideate and, and research topics and, and, you know, help with that? Because I think it's like so overwhelming that we just get paralyzed by the thought of it, that we just don't do any of it. And, and we're all process oriented and analytical. Is there a way that we can build that process to help us be more efficient and effective at it? Yeah, I mean, I feel like first, the first thing to do if you're doing this on your own is to start with a cadence that feels comfortable to you. So you've got to say in your mind, I, I look at it month to month. You know, this month, I want to get this amount of articles out. I want to post this amount of times every week. I want to send this many emails and, you know, I want to try to be a guest on somebody's podcast. Okay. So you set these goals for yourself. Now, now you've got to decide what you're going to talk about. Right. So I always say for advisors who are DIYing it and don't really know where to start is to look at what your clients are asking you right now. So you want to have a good mix of evergreen content and timely content, but an easy place to start for advisors is with the timely stuff. What are people asking about, which right now we know is inflation and rising interest rates. What's going to happen? How is this going to affect my finances? How is this going to affect my retirement? What moves should I be making now? You know, I'm talking them off the ledge so they don't move all their money to cash. These are the things, you know, that you can start with, you know, to work in. Then I would say if you're looking, you know, I would do about half and half. So half timely, half evergreen. So we're going to fill in the evergreen side. And I would say you definitely want to pick topics that are niche focused. So for example, if you are an advisor who works with physicians, maybe you, A, you're here you are again. Where do I start? Think about things that your clients have talked to you about recently. 
or common problems that they've been having, things that have been coming up a lot. Like maybe they're asking you, is it worth it to open a private practice because of the insurance liabilities and things like this? Am I going to get in over my head because I still have these medical school payments to make and blah, blah, blah. You know, just really start mining your actual clients and mining their actual problems for the things that you can talk about. And you'll, I think that if you do that, you'll find that there is a bit of a bazillion things you could talk about. Yeah. Uh, it just doesn't feel like it at the moment, you know? And I also like using other people for inspiration. Don't go ripping other people off. But I mean, we don't need to recreate the wheel. Go out there and see what other people are talking about and pick something you like and make it your own. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's okay to do that. That's how we learn. That's quite literally how I learned to do my job was reading things on the internet about financial planning. I didn't go to, I don't have a CFP. I don't have any sort of certifications. I am a lifelong reader, learner, researcher, writer. So, I mean, veritably, I should be able to write about anything. And with the internet these days, you can find out whatever you want. <laughs> with the access to information, I mean, and like what we are doing, we all learned it from someone else. So it's not like, it's the same thing. And we feel like, we feel like we're like, cheating the system when we go and learn about something and someone we know we should know about inflation so we shouldn't go read what anybody else is writing but that's bs that's just complete no. bs that, that let's is go just, see what other people are saying yeah like why i mean it's like it's like cutting off one of your arms and just saying like well, I shouldn't try to do anything with this stub. I'm just going to work with this arm. Like, why? There's other people out there who have good ideas. And like, we are so, we forget that we are so limited in our scope of what, what are we are in our environment. And as advisors a lot, and as I feel this as a business owner, we're kind of, we get little a little stuck sometimes, like in our own little bubble. And it's good for us to see what other people are saying because, you know, it's not that you're ripping off their idea necessarily, but just something that, oh yeah, I haven't thought about that in a while or, oh, that, that's terrible. I would never tell my clients to do that. And then it gets the wheels turning and you know exactly what to say, put in your own spin on it, your own nuance, your own ideology to whatever it is, you know, yes, generating income in retirement is basically one of the most generic topics in the world, but every advisor was, is going to have their own little spin and take on it. So, I mean, you do have a lot more to work with than I think, you know, than you think you do. And I, and I think that there's something to that, right? I mean, if you're able to produce a piece of content, leveraging other people's content, and you're able then to not rip it off, but you're able to, you're, you're able to kind of source that in your content, it gives a, a vast knowledge of, of, of viewpoints which helps like that helps there. And I, there's two things I want you just to, if you could give a definition for listeners, because I, I understand it. And I think that a lot of our listeners do, but it's always good. Evergreen versus timely okay. definition of evergreen. And I think you did good with the examples, but let's do a definition of evergreen in an example, and then timely in an example, because I think too many people write timely content and they run out of content that they can reuse, which is the whole reason for evergreen. Exactly. Okay, so this is a good point. Evergreen content versus timely content. Timely is pretty self-explanatory. It's about what's happening now. But a year from now, you can't republish the same article because things are going to have changed. Like right now, if you had hired me to write an article about 
the SECURE Act. <laughs> We're not going to be republishing an article about the SECURE Act today because that's old news. Was it helpful at the time? Yes, because that's what people wanted to read about and they wanted to understand. So it had its value and its time and its place. But you always want to make sure that you have a good base of evergreen content on your website at all times, not just because it's like getting a lot of bang for your buck, but because, well, let me explain what it is first. Evergreen content is content that's going to stand the test of time. So we're going to write about things you should look for when, 10 things you should look for when choosing your financial advisor. That's something that's not going to, the information is not going to go, go old. You know what I mean? It's going to be the same advice, you know, fiduciary, you know, see how they're paid, what do you get for your money, all of these types of things, right? So that's not going to go out of style. It's not something news related. Another example would be, I mean, okay. What is an ETF, right? Yeah. What is an ETF or, you know, anything like that? I'm yeah. anything that's not really going to change. So and, and there are things that change like from year to year, for example, let's say you write about retirement plan options for your employees. Well, contribution limits and stuff like that change from year to year. So if you have that in your article, it might be something that you just need to make a note of, like go in at the beginning of every year when the, the contribution limits change or whatever, and just update it. But like for the most part, the entire article should be good to go. For and, it, and it gives you it gives you content you can use again, right? And now you can repost that retirement one with the updated information and you have another content piece. That's the beauty of inflate or evergreen versus timely. Now there's you were mentioning as well, like speaking of like building content, and I'm curious on your stance on this because you're talking about inflation and rising interest rates. And you know, I've something that I always learned by reading others and also just from talking with others is you got to write about write in a way that is authentic to yourself, but is not what you want to say, but what other people want to hear. And I think that the best content writers are ones that can take like inflation, for instance, a topic that's not easy to understand or Fed policy, right? How are they going to manage interest rates to, to combat inflation? You know, the discount window, like all this type of stuff. And they take that and they're able to relate it to something that the normal individual that's not a financial advisor in, in, in finance is able to understand. They relate it to a story. You know, Carl, Carl Richards does this really well with like his drawings. Like those are the people that do it really well. And so I think that there's where the thought goes into is, yes, you know inflation. You know how to battle inflation. But now how do you take that knowledge and wrap it around a story or relate it to something like football or sports or something else? I don't know what it is. Yeah. that people can relate to so that they can then get it right. Like those are like, that's talent when it comes to content. And that's like where I think you kind of make that jump to the next level in content creation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that a lot of times advisors will think in the opposite, like the more data that I provide, the more charts, the more this, the, the more credible that it's going to sound. But quite honestly, 90% of the time, People see that and they're just jump ship. They're like, screw this. This is way too complicated. I've got five minutes and I open this email for my advisor. I want to know what's going on, but I want to know in a way that A, is not boring as shit and also is like is easy to understand. So they say in content writing, like the easier something is for you to read, the more care went in for it. 
went into making it. So you want your content to, yes, be relatable. It doesn't have to be chock full of data and numbers and stats. And there's a time and a place for that. And you just have to have a good balance between, you know, giving enough of that information to validate what you're saying, but also making it relatable through like what you said, personal anecdote, stories, analogies to things that, for example, that you're interested in. I am a bodybuilder. I'm interested in fitness, which is why I started my podcast relating um, financial advisor marketing principles and fitness principles. And that's where it all, you know, began. So a lot of times I would recommend, you know, think of something that you're into and then try to draw the analogy there or draw the connection there because there are chances are there other people out there in your audience that are into that too. Like you said, like football or draft beer or, you know, whatever it is, find a way to infuse yourself into the story and it becomes just, it's, it becomes unmatched. Yeah. And I think that, you know, uh, to your point, it's like, there's two things that, that I took away from yours is one, I think back to like Paul Graham, who I, I think was the founder of YC Combinator out in San Francisco. And he always talked about the smartest people and the best writers are the ones that can get their point across in as few of words as possible. Right. And I'm something that's still working on that, still struggling with that. But I keep a mindset of it is like, can I get my point to get across in a different way with fewer words? And everybody thinks they have to write all this words. And it's like, if you can do it in three sentences, it's going to be so much more powerful because you use the right words and you had thought into it at that point. And the second thing that I, you know, to your point is like, find something that you're passionate about and, and relate it. You know, the only I've tried that and I've done that and I've started to get better at it, but don't try to go, don't try to make the stretch too far or it becomes cheesy. And that's something where I've, I've struggled as well. So that's just a, you know, don't do what I did on that yeah. side, because I've written some really cheesy pieces trying to make that stretch. But I'm curious as you're going through the content writing process, right? Are there like content checklists that people should go through? Is there ways that people, you know, that they should think about, you know, making like, is it like, Hey, have an action, have a lead in story. Do you have like checklists that people can think through as they're writing content, maybe just to get them going from that standpoint? Yeah, absolutely. And actually what I did before your audience and anybody else who's interested is I actually have a, a blog writing checklist that I'll share with you and you can put the link in, you know, wherever you share the podcast so that your listeners, all the listeners can get it. There are really two parts and I think I explained this in the, in the um, document that, you know, to blog writing, there's technical and there's the artistic side there, you know, obviously checking the boxes on the technical side is a lot easier, but you know, that's the low hanging fruit, but it's not financial advisors don't necessarily know what those are. So the checklist becomes very helpful. There are also some points in the checklist, which speak to the artistic side, you know, which will help you with the articulation of what you're trying to say. But yeah, definitely there's checklists. I mean, because there are a lot of purposes to a blog and it's not just in relating to other people. You know, some advisors are concerned, many advisors are concerned about their SEO. If we're writing, we're going to write, you know, with SEO in mind because we're going to do it the right way and we're going to get the most bang for our buck. You know, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it right. So, you know, there are SEO considerations to think about, you know, backlinking you want to do, 
putting the keywords in the right places, the way that you write your title, the length of your title, all of these things are super important and you'll find them in the checklist. Of course, if there are any questions, you feel free to ask me, but you know, these are like some of the must-haves that you need if you're going to be writing on your own. All right. So I want to tap into some of those real quick. So length of title, talk to me about length of title. What makes a good title for a blog? It's not like my top 10 advisor way. What's a good title? What's a good title for us? Okay. Well, okay. I don't know what to tell you about that, but here's the thing. (laughs) Okay. There are best practices to titles, right? And there are other considerations like I've written really amazing titles for an advisor whose website only lets them put six of the seven words in it. So Mm -hmm. then we've got to go write a new title. Uh, So, you know, that's something to keep in mind. They have a 20 over 10 site and quite a few number of my advisors do. So think about that when you're writing your title, what is going to fit on my website? (laughs) And you don't want it to be too long because people get so easily distracted that they just, they can't have it. Numbers are good. Parentheses are good. How to do, why not to do this? And, or, you know, common mistakes and how to avoid them. Like there are just uh, best practices, title best practices. There's about 50 of them. I mean, we could be here for a while. Hey, well, we got all day. I'm going to order some food, send it over to you. We'll just have uh, over there. We'll check, we'll check, we'll link to that, that checklist so that people can see some of those tips and tricks for blog content right now. I, I, I have a few more questions now with blog content, right? So I'm thinking about this and saying, I'm an advisor. I've written some content. I feel really good that I got some SEO with it. I'm technical. There's some artistic ability. But now I want to do some other avenues of content creation, right? It's not just blogging these days, right? You have blogs, you have podcasts, you have just audio clips, you have video, you have social. How do you think about taking that one piece of content and turning it in? We talked about using it as a writing it, then emailing it and posting it, but that's just kind of the delivery mechanism. But then the me- the medium is you know video, audio, et cetera. How do you think about using it in like an omni-channel approach to where one piece of content can turn into you know five, six, seven pieces of content? Yeah, absolutely. So this is something that I harp on a lot, especially because, you know, we all want to feel like we're getting our money's worth, right? So I'm like, okay, let me explain to you. You get this, let me say I write you one article, right? You can probably go in and make four or five videos from it, at least, of which you could go make audiograms with, of which you could, you know, share to YouTube, share to social, put in your email, use on a landing page. So that's just from the four or five videos. Then you could probably veritably make 20 tweets out of something in here. So there's 20 of those. And let's say you want to make an infographic. So you can use this content to to send to a graphic designer and say, or me or whoever, (laughs) you know, I want to turn this into an infographic. And then you've got... Or you could say, I want to turn this into a lead magnet. So then you gate the content, create a landing page for it, and only offer it in exchange for someone's email. So there are a lot of, there are really a lot of options for what you can do. And especially now with like 
stories on social media. So you can have actual static videos. You can have reels. You can have stories. There are a number of different ways that you can take what's written in one article and repurpose it over and over again. And that actually was one part of the reason that I started my podcast was because I knew that I was just going to have this library of a video content that I could just tap into at any time from myself and my guests and share, you know, great little tidbits of information, one minute clips here and there, not only to promote the podcast, but to, you know, underscore any kind of, you know, campaign that I was running or anything like that. So, you know, there's a lot of things that you can do yeah. just from one one content topic you can create i mean you can just create off of that and it's over multiple mediums and you mentioned something in there that i want to dive into lead magnets right yes. lead magnets what's a lead magnet and sounds like just a great word just lead magnet right like that's awesome so what's a lead magnet how do we build it how do we utilize it how do we make it effective for our firm Okay, a lead magnet is a piece of gated content. Gated means that it's not offered for free. So in order for someone to get this piece of content from you, they've got to opt in or they've got to fill out one of the op, you know, opt-in forms on the internet. We've all done it. You know, put in your, your phone number for 10% off your Jack Rogers. Subscribe to the list for free shipping, whatever. Those, okay, are lead magnets because what happens is you give them information in exchange for something that you want. Of course, advisors aren't being be giving out discounts. So what you're going to be giving out is generally information. So it could be a checklist, you know, 10 things to do with your 401k if you get laid off from your job or three ways to make tax savvy retire, three ways to make tax savvy decisions in retirement or your five-step guide to claiming social security benefits in retirement, whatever it is, it should solve one of the, speak to one of the main problems that your niche has and be something that they can use right away. I like to give templates. I like to give checklists. I like to think, give things that people can take and use and be productive with because that makes people feel good. Yes, I got this done. Yes, this feels great. I'm making progress. I like Olivia because she helped me make progress. <laughs> so when I need help, I'm going to go back to Olivia because she helped me accomplish this and she helped me overcome this hurdle. She helped me overcome this challenge. Or, wow, I realize there's so much more about this that I don't know. I should probably go to Olivia and find out how to approach this. So those are the goals with the lead magnet. So you you gate this piece of content that is super valid, has super valuable information in it. You offer it in exchange for an email. And that is gold, my friends. That is the Willy Wonka golden ticket to the chocolate factory because email marketing has the highest ROI for any industry, not just financial advisors, over other digital marketing medium. So yeah, you might have 1500 people view your post on LinkedIn. That's fabulous. You know, we're, we're all about that, but there is nothing compared to what you can do with an email. You have access directly to someone's inbox and the conversion rates on nurture sequences and email marketing are just through the roof. I think it's something like 36 to one. I mean, it's a, it's great. So 
that 36 to one conversion to email. Is that what that is? Like for every $1 you spend, you will get like a return of 36. I like that. That sounds yeah. good. I mean, I like that. so not necessarily the conversion from the email, but the return on your investment. So right. the email is gold, but you have to find a way to get it. So that's why you create the lead magnet. So the lead magnet, what I took away, got to give instant gratification. Give them the give them the high right away, so that they they get what they want, right? And yeah. that sometimes means that you know some usually like you use like these white papers, and white papers are good, but they're not. You got to use something that they are going to be able to utilize the better themselves right yeah. away. Um, but I think that there also has to be, and I'm curious on how the help advisor set this up, and then what kind of transition is. All right, I created this great lead magnet. I got all these emails, but if I don't have an email marketing campaign and strategy, and it's not tied into my like Mailchimp or you know Pardot or whatever it is, then it's ineffective. So how do I go about building an email campaign, like the nurture campaign, to make this effective? Right? Like what? I'm curious right. to, to know, like how many emails should they be part of the campaign? Right? Like what? I need to have content that's there before I create the lead magnet. So there's like some work that needs to go into it before you build the lead magnet because everybody's like, I got all these leads, but now I don't know what to do with them. I got the Yeah, I mean, the, the truth of the matter is that no matter how great of an advisor you are, no matter how great your lead magnet is, it takes a certain number of touch points for, for inbound marketing leads to make contact. So that is generally between, is somewhere like in the 12 points of contact range. Now the points of contact can be anything from email to social media to an ad they see of yours or, you know, anything like that. But anyways, the, the, the goal is to, to nurture this relationship, make the points of contact. And the best, the best way to do that is directly in their inbox. So you've got the lead magnet. They've signed up. They're giving you their email address. You need to stay in contact with them. You need to stay top of mind, show them your other resources, lead them to your podcast, invite them to your Facebook group, you know, involve them and let them get to know who you are and ask them to schedule a call with you. So there can be any number. I like to say between six and 10 should be the minimum for a nurture sequence. And the number is really going to depend for me, the person who's making them on what kind of assets that you have to offer, right? So if you have a limited number of assets, we might only have a six sequence, nurture sequence. So the welcome email is the first one, the let's schedule a call is the last one. And then there's four in between that share your other resources, offer different, you know, overcome objections that they might have to working with you, you know, different strategies that we use in those, those interim emails. Of course, at the bottom of every one, we're always asking them to connect on social. We're always asking them to schedule the call for those who have more urgency. It's unlikely that they're going to schedule early in the sequence, but it happens. Depends like on the, the client's or prospect's urgency, but ultimately then the last email is, hey, you know, Let's, let's do this. Let's chat. And so if you, I always also tell advisors, if you notice, you know, you need to monitor these things. There are ways to go into your email marketing and see which leads are engaging, you know, with your emails. And maybe if you see that someone has 
opened them all and has clicked through all of them that you might want to just send them a personal email and make that kind of point of contact there. That works really well. Yes, of course, it's some, it's not something that you can automate. That's something, you know, that you have to do above and beyond, but you know, I guess to depends how bad you're looking to generate business. <laughs> so right. yeah. It, so, and I, I like love- six to 10 emails is good for a nurture sequence. And I love your point of like, I think sometimes advisors are afraid to ask, like just ask for the meeting, put it in there and ask. If you don't ask, you're never going to get, nobody's going to be like, you know what? This is such a nice gentleman or lady. I'm just going to give them a call, right? Like you got to ask. Oh yeah. Clear calls to action. So a CTA is your call to action. These are everywhere in digital marketing. They should be at the bottom of all of your blogs at the, on every single page of your website, top and bottom, sometimes in the middle, you have to ask people to do what you want them to do. Download the guide, schedule the call. I mean, be direct, learn how to market yourself as a financial advisor, click. Okay, you have to tell people, you have to show them the way to go. And like you said, the fewer the words, the better because they just wanna see it and their brain needs to process it and see, process, do. We don't need to overcomplicate this. The more words, the more steps, the more they're going to get lost. They're going to lose interest. So always have clear calls to action in all of your your marketing. C process do. C process do. Remember that when you're building content and marketing strategies. C process do. Are they going to see process do? Exactly. And don't give them too much to process. Let them see it. Let them process it. Let them take action. Let's go. That's let's simplify it. This has been awesome. And I know that, you know, everybody's got to get back to their their day-to-day. You got to continue helping advisors. There's plenty out there to help. I know that there is. I I mean, I always need help on thinking about content and, and how to the, the market. I, I always ask these two questions because you know, you mentioned you're a lifelong, you're you're a lifelong learner. You love to read, you love to write, you love to learn. And so I think that everybody needs to be lifelong learners. I'm a huge fan of it. That's what you know I, I can relate to you on. So the question I always ask. What's one book out there that you think our listeners should definitely read to help them in their day-to-day to continue their lifelong learning journey? Well, for me, it's going to be Relentless by Tim Grover because that if that doesn't light a fire underneath you, then maybe you're not maybe you're not cut out for this. That's all I have to say. There's nothing like uh, reading through that and kind of deciding for yourself like what kind of business owner am I? What kind of advisor am I? Am I, you know, some advisors aren't cut out to own their own business and generate their own revenue. Some are better off working for other people. And I think that that is something that is not shameful or anything like that. It's just, it's just the fact of reality. And they might just be happier in a position where they are working for a firm that is generating, you know, the leads for them. And it's not something that they have to do on their own. And I think that that's a tough question that, a lot of people have to ask themselves and uh, that book will help illuminate whether you're cut out for this or not. So there's Relentless, that. relentless. I love relentless. it. All right. Relentless is going on the bookshelf. I'm going to figure out whether I'm cut out for it or not. I like that. I think it's a great every, and it's a heart. You have to come to grips. I think advisors have egos and you have to come to grips with what you are. And it's okay if you're not the founder, like we just got to be okay with it. I, I think that, yeah, or like if you're not the money maker, if you're not the rainmaker in the firm, like that's okay. Let the person who is 
take on that role and you take on a role that is more fit to what your personality is and what makes you happy. Because ultimately when you're happier, you're, you mean at your job, your life is going to feel more fulfilling in general. So own your lane is what it's about. All right. I got this from Boom or not Bloomberg from Barron's when I went to some of their conferences and they always ask their guests that are speaking to say, what's one piece of actionable advice that everybody listening can take away from our conversation to make themselves better tomorrow? What's one piece of actionable advice? Oh my gosh. I really should have thought about this beforehand, but I would say, remember that how you do anything is how you do everything. And so you need to just discipline yourself (laughs) to really stick to these types of things. Marketing is hard. Working out is hard. Okay. But how you do anything is how you do everything. Show up every day and and aim to be 1% better than the day before. So I guess that's it. Be 1% better than you were the day before. If it's five five more reps at the gym, if it's one more rep at the gym, if it's five more minutes on the Stairmaster, if it's one more social media post, if it's 10 more seconds responding to somebody else's email, you commit to being 1% better every day. You will grow that muscle, become more resilient, and the harder things become easy so that you can then progress onto the harder and the harder and ultimately just become a better person, business owner, bodybuilder, whatever it is that you're doing. 1% better every day. That's mine. 1% better every day at the end of the year. That's 356% better than you were at the beginning of the year. Is that right? 356 days. That's right. Yes. So Olivia, this has been awesome. Now I know that, I mean, I want to continue to follow you. I want to continue to get some of those nuggets of information that you have. And I'm sure that listeners do as well. So how can people stay in touch with you? How can they continue to follow you and learn from you and just be better because of you? Oh, wow. (laughs) That's a big claim. But I'm really active on LinkedIn, Olivia Looper. And I also really like Instagram. So those are the two places where I'm most active. I also have my Get Advisor Fit podcast, which the videos are posted on YouTube and the podcasts are posted on your favorite platforms like Spotify, iTunes, all of that jazz. So, you know, pick your poison, but LinkedIn is where I'm at for for most of the time. I have some really awesome people on the the podcast. You're going to be coming on my podcast next month. I am not uh, the awesome one, but I am, I'm honored to be on there. I'm honored to be on there. So yeah. So, and lexiconcontentdevelopment.com. Everything is, uh, you need to know is there. Love it. Olivia Looper. You're the best. You're amazing. Thank you for everything that you're doing for our industry. Thank you for taking time to join us on Bridging the Gap. Stay well, be well, and we will talk soon. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. Central.